2: Betty. John Smoltz. If you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have so much hope for this generation coming up that I've grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, Speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground, and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Luller. That was for Seattle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just to name a few.
2: Welcome to Sports Business
1: Radio, now
0: Here's Brian Berger.
1: This week's edition of Sports Business Radio is presented by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports. It's also the fastest-growing fantasy app in the industry. Play Underdog Fantasy's March Madness game. Download the Underdog Fantasy app or visit underdogfantasy.com. Sign up today with promo code SBR, like Sports Business Radio, SBR, and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Great guest for you this week, Chris Corus, the CEO of Rep 1 Baseball. We cover a ton in this conversation, from the record-setting contract Chris helped negotiate for Red Sox third baseman Rafael Devers to recruiting clients in Latin America, to how major league baseball should show their games in the future, to what Shohei Ohtani's market value might be when he becomes a free agent in 2024. To the topic I've always wanted to discuss with a baseball agent, length of contract. My listeners and Griggs know that I'm a big believer in not signing contracts that are longer than five years in length, so I debate this with Chris. A quick note, scheduled guest on next week's episode of Sports Business Radio, we're Ted lassoing out Cola Bokini who plays Isaac McAdoo, the captain of AFC Richmond on the hit TV series Ted Lasso on Apple TV+. Plus? He is going to join us right here on Sports Business Radio. Very excited about that. Joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. And I was excited to have Chris on just because, hey, we're on the cusp of... MLB and baseball getting started. It's nice that spring is in the air and uh, the bats are swinging and baseball's back. So I'm looking forward to that and his conversation. He's got a lot of insight, obviously signing a big uh, deal like you mentioned this this week. So uh, fun to talk some baseball.
1: Yeah, and the World Baseball Classic is going on right now. So it's become a little bit like World Cup. I mean, I think World Cup soccer is still much bigger than the World Baseball Classic. But I think World Baseball Classic aspires to be where World Cup soccer is. Um, And one of the things we discussed, there's just so much more personality and so many more stories when watching World Baseball Classic than when watching Major League Baseball. So how can Major League Baseball do a better job of bringing some of those stories out? I mean, Griggs, there was a guy who uh, works as an electrician during the day that struck out Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Like, what a cool (laughs) story that is. He's getting to play for his country. There was another uh, young Latin American pitcher, 21 years old, struck out Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, some of the best players in baseball. After the game, he was approached by a Detroit Tiger scout and signed on the spot. 21 years old. Love it. So um, some great stories coming out of World Baseball Classic. And I think Major League Baseball needs to humanize the players a little bit more. I always say we know the 10th guy on the bench for an NBA team. I don't know much about Mike Trout or Mookie Betts or Shohei Otani or some of the biggest stars in baseball. So what could be done about that? But we really get into it with Chris. I I thought this was a great conversation, um, you know, for the future of broadcasting, not only for Major League Baseball, but every sport Um, and just, you know. The length of contracts, like I said, that's always been a big one for me. So uh, he brings up some really good points. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation. All right, let's get to some headlines. NFL free agency has started Griggs and, you know, already a slew of signings. Uh, Lots of rumors that Aaron Rodgers is going to be traded from the Packers to the Jets. That hasn't happened yet as of this recording, but it seems like we're on the cusp of that. Another big quarterback move. The Raiders are giving former 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo a three-year, $67.5 million deal. That includes a $34 million guaranteed bonus. Um, You know, lots of other movement, and we've been retweeting a lot of those at SB Radio. A trade, Griggs, with the NFL draft. The Bears trade the number one pick in the draft to the Carolina Panthers, and they get back the number nine pick The number 61 pick, a first round pick in 2024, a second round pick in 2025 and wide receiver D.J. Moore. That's what you call maximizing your position. Yeah. So, uh, you know, look, the Carolina Panthers are going to get their quarterback, whoever that may be. C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, uh, Anthony Richardson, whoever it is at number one. But. The Bears need help at a number of different positions, and they basically trade back eight positions and pick up a lot of assets in the process. So a lot of people are are applauding the Bears for this trade because they already have Justin Fields. They don't need a quarterback. Carolina values one of these quarterbacks coming out. so. They got the most for trading out of that number one position.
0: Yeah, and I think that's always kind of interesting when it's not necessarily as flashy when you first see it on, you know, Twitter. When you see, oh, they traded picks for this or whatever, but the strategy involved, as they say, is where it gets fun because that's looking forward to the future, like you said, getting their number one pick down the road, but uh, not as flashy. On the day it happens, but down the road, I think they'll be better for it. And it's fun. I mean, this is a good time of year. You, you see all these free agency signings and a lot of, like we talked about, long contracts and MLB, a lot of one-year quarterback contracts where you'll see like Sam Darnold signed and you know, these one-year kind of jumping around from team to team. We saw Baker do it with the Rams last year, halfway through. So that's kind of fun to, just to see where a team will pick up an old guy just for a season to kind of get, you know, if there's an injury issue or whatever it is to uh, get one of these uh, OGs on the on the field with them.
1: Well, and then it's interesting to see the teams that just sit and watch the first few days, and they basically pick up the leftovers off the scrap heap (laughs) and go, hey, you didn't get picked up by anyone. I'm going to sign you on the cheap and put you on my team. Right. So the team has more leverage if you're not one of those first people traded. Jalen Ramsey was traded from the Rams to the Dolphins. That was a big move. The Dolphins really shoring up their defense, building their offense around Tua. And Cheetah, by the way, did you see Cheetah? Oh my gosh, yeah. Tyreek Hill was in a USTA or US track and field event and just blew <laughs> away the competition. It looked like everyone else was running in cement. Yep. And Cheetah just blew away the competition. So, you know, we see how fast these guys are in the football field, but you put them on a track like that and, you know, up against some great competition. And when you see these wide receivers, I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember Willie Galt with yeah. the Chicago Bears when he played with Jim McMahon and Walter Payton. And I mean, these track and field guys, they can run like the wind.
0: Well, it's even like sometimes they'll do it on an NFL game on a stat when it's a breakaway run or a punt return. They'll put up the miles per hour, 23, 22, 20, right. whatever. I mean, doesn't sound like it, but think about driving a car at 25 miles an hour. And hey, these guys yeah. are running, could r- run right and look at you like, hey, I'm just running by right. with you. <laughs>
1: That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. All right, March Madness gets underway this week, both the men and the women. If you missed my conversation with Jillian Scott, the Managing Director of the Men's Basketball Championships for the NCAA, that was on last week's show. Go back and listen to that. She really gives us a great behind-the-scenes of the NCAA Tournament for the men. Um, again, a reminder to our audience, Underdog Fantasy has some great March Madness games, some pick them, some rivals, Go to dot uh, underdogfantasy.com or download the app, enter the promo code SBR and have some fun during March Madness. Griggs, I need your picks. Just I'm not gonna ask you for all your picks, but just give me the championship game and who you have winning it all on the men's side. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's funny because actually CBS Sports is down currently. It's funny their bracket page is just spinning because everybody's filling out their brackets. But I'm going to try and remember what I picked because I did a bracket a couple of days ago. But I have uh, Alabama going all the way to the championship game versus the UCLA Bruins. So that's my final two. Uh, and I, I because I'm a West Coast guy, I got to pick UCLA to win it. They probably won't, but that's who I got winning it, the whole thing.
1: <laughs> I mean, this is really remarkable, Griggs. I thought my pick was kind of like outside the box a little bit. I beat you. (laughs) I have the two programs that Sports Business Radio has gone in depth with in the last couple months in the championship game, Nice, UCLA and Duke. There you go. Duke is 17 and one with their full complement of players. They are playing tremendous. Their freshmen are really rising to the occasion. Filipowski. Yep. Um, And I mean, look, the biggest thing that UCLA and Duke have going for them right now is that they've got the good mojo from Sports Business Radio. So like they don't realize this yet, but the SBR mojo is real. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. So I'm going UCLA Duke. I'm going to pick UCLA to win it all. Nice. This is, you know, look, UCLA has been battling some injuries. So if their full compliment isn't back, then obviously I don't feel as great about picking them to make it to the championship game. But if they're healthy, which it looks like they're going to be, I've got UCLA and Duke with UCLA winning it. Martin Jarmon would be very happy if that is the result. And wouldn't it be interesting? UCLA wins the national championship before moving to the Big Ten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would uh, that would be an insult. Mike dropwell <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, Pac-12 would be happy now in current day. But, right. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't be real happy for the long term. Um, all right. I want to ask our listeners to please follow the sports business radio podcast on Apple podcasts. You can hit the plus sign in the upper right. When you search for our podcast and you'll automatically receive new episodes every week, you'll have access to our deep podcast archive with biggest names in sports and business dating back to 2007. And if you like our podcast, please give us five stars on Apple podcasts. Griggs. uh, I'm excited for the tournament. Oh, on the women's side, can't leave the women out. This is really interesting. South Carolina and head coach Dawn Staley are such heavy favorites on the women's side that there is a bet you can either take South Carolina or you can take the field. (laughs) And the odds are actually pretty good if you take the field. But guess what, Griggs? I'm not doing that. I'm taking South Carolina. I'm taking Dawn Staley. I think they are dominant. Unlike on the men's side where it's wide open, I'm taking South Carolina to win the women's tournament. How about you?
0: They are so smooth. I mean, they just have it figured out. They're fun to watch. They just dominate. I mean, every game it looks like it's like, you know the Giants playing against the little kids. It's just they—they're good passers, they're good defenders, they're great shooters. The whole team is just so you know meshed well together and coached so well. I, I can't—I can't pick against them either. I think they are a, a fun team to watch. I think they're going to win some games pretty handily in this tournament.
1: All right, coming up next, Chris Corus, the CEO of Rap One Baseball. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports. It's also the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Your fantasy leagues might be over, but you can still play fantasy sports games on Underdog Fantasy. I love playing Pick'em and Rivals. With Pick'em, you can pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. You can win 20 times your money in a single night. You pick between two and five players to build a pick entry. Also, Rivals pits two players against each other. That's a lot of fun, too. It could be two players on the same team. It could be two players from other teams. Points, rebounds, fantasy points. It's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying that with NBA games especially right now. Sign up today with promo code SBR and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Visit underdogfantasy.com Or find them in the app store and don't forget to register with my promo code SBR, like sports business radio, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 plus and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Chris Corris. He is the CEO of Rep one Baseball. They've been busy. Closed a record-breaking deal for Raphael Devers with the Boston Red Sox, and Rep one has 22 clients representing eight different countries in the ongoing World Baseball Classic. Over his three-year tenure as CEO, uh, Chris has overseen growth of the firm from approximately 50 clients to over 250 clients, while growing revenue four times over this time frame. Chris, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk some baseball with you. And um, let's start with your path to CEO. How did you get interested in sports? How did you get interested in, you know, working for an agency? Our listeners always like to hear the path that our guests have taken.
2: Yeah. So I, I think the path was probably set out for me very early on, um, in that I, I am a sports junkie. Um, if it's not baseball, it's hockey. If it's not hockey, it's football. Um, and and, and on and on. Uh, I was laughing earlier about, uh, uh, my home and the different, um, pieces of memorabilia that we have from a sports perspective, everything from formula one to you know the jerseys of some of the players that I get to to represent and work with on a daily basis. It, it's it, I'm just a sports guy um, through and through. So um, I played hockey early on growing up in Canada. That's you know it's a rite of passage. It's what you do. <laughs> um, and took that all the way through college, and then after college, um, you know, I was obviously faced with a crossroads. Do I do I go and try my hand at um, something semi professionally? work my way through Europe or the minors is, is that really the best path for me or is it to take um you know the what I what I've been really kind of gifted with which is um you know was the off off ice and, um and, and outside the lines type stuff and and go to law school um so I chose law school and uh, good decision it's it's worked out pretty well um <laughs> uh, so moved down to California uh, I did did my law degree down here at Chapman, which is in Orange County, which is where I, my wife and I currently live. And coming out of law school was was like everyone else was trying to search for what what comes next. And I just happened to, I guess, stumble upon uh, the good fortune of of getting to work with a guy named Lee Steinberg. So uh, I'm sure your your uh, listeners are familiar with Lee and what he's done in uh, in our industry. And, you know, really came out with the JD in law and left Lee uh, after we had had eventually parted with, I guess you could consider it a PhD in in what this industry represents, um, the the business side of sports, in in other words. So after Lee uh, got hooked up with another agency, and it's really just kind of grown from there. So I've been with Rep One for, God, I want to say about eight years now. And I've been primarily responsible for the baseball division uh, for the time frame that you referenced. And we've just had, you know, a lot of good luck and a lot of hard work and good fortune and, and things just recently fall away. But it's really been a, uh, a remarkably challenging journey to get here. It's not, it's not been easy. Um, you know, this industry is hyper-competitive. Um, the the barrier to entry in terms of getting in is not necessarily very high. There's a lot of people that can get into the industry very quickly and find some relative success, albeit not sustained success. and And that's what we focused on: is how do we grow a sustainable practice uh, that continues to abide by the values that we've established the practice with, and and how do we continue to progress and innovate. The way that we represent our players, um, you know, keeping keeping on track in terms of the growth that we want to achieve as a business. Uh so I guess that brings me to today and and really the, the Raphael Devers deal being uh, the pinnacle of the success our group has had. Um, certainly a moment that I'm particularly proud of, not just because of the size of the deal and you know, getting to work with a player as, as gifted um, as Raphael, extremely proud for him, extremely excited for him. But the way the deal came together on our side uh, was really such an amazing team effort and, and led by Raf's agent, Nelson Montes de Oca, um, a gentleman internally here by the name of Scott Nelson. Both of those guys have been with us pretty much since the beginning. So for the three of us as a team to get to take that deal, that historic deal, across the finish line together was, was really the cherry on top. It made it extra special. I want to get to that deal in a minute.
1: Um, great background. I love how you say PhD from, uh, Lee. Lee's been on this show, just a legend in the industry. I think one of the negative things about the movie, Jerry Maguire is a lot of people saw that movie and they're like, Hey, I'm going to become a sports agent. Like it's super easy. And like you said, it's not easy. So, Before we get to the Raphael Devers contract, walk me through the process of recruiting clients because baseball, much like soccer, is an international sport, and you have a client roster of international players. You're finding people playing stickball in the streets in Panama. I mean, it is, you've got to scour the planet to find some of the best talent. It's a little different than like the NFL and the NBA. Um,
2: how do you find your clients it's it's a great question uh, you know in, in north so we have two practices we have our North American practice uh, which is currently led by Nate Heisler and he and his team have done a great job recruiting domestically and then we have our Latin practice which as you pointed out is, is just remarkably different in terms of the recruitment process and um, I will tell you the first thing. I think it was probably the first thing I did when I took uh, on this post was I flew to the Dominican. Um, you know, I, I I understood the business. Of course, I understood what we were trying to achieve, and and you know, we charted out this this plan to build that what we felt was the the right type of practice again in a sustainable way. But unless I was able to really get my hands dirty. And understand on the ground what that meant on a day to day basis. Right, you know the the plan really didn't didn't mean anything. Um, so I flew there and worked with our partner, and I, I went to every corner of the Dominican Republic. Um, I met with trainers, I met with bankers, I met with um, like academies. I mean, you name it. I wanted to understand every single detail of what Latin American baseball entailed. I wanted to understand the culture. I wanted to understand where the players came from, um, what they ate, you know, how they slept. I mean, you name it. I wanted I wanted to understand it, um, and that for me was probably the best thing I ever did in terms of the growth of our practice. It was fundamentally taking a step back and and taking a deep a dive into a really nuanced and unique culture as I could, so that I could on a day to day basis assist our recruiters, our agents, our servicing staff, our marketing staff in their own individual pursuits. And and that from a collective standpoint of really just wanting to provide the highest quality service. So from a recruiting standpoint, um, we took a look at uh, academies uh, in in the Dominican Republic and in Venezuela, the two really important markets um, for our practice specifically, and, and wanted to understand what was not being done. That could be done uh, better. Uh, so, you know, essentially, what kind of resources could we assist with down there to improve the training, the lives, et cetera, of, of all these players that were coming from these academies? So, uh, in terms of what that looks like, we've developed really, really strong relationships with the individuals who are at the forefront of actually producing these uh, unbelievable talents. Um, you know, I don't know if you've watched any of the WBC, but it, it's on full display. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, as good as team USA looks on paper, they weren't, they weren't very good last night. Um, but as, as good as they look on paper, as good as Japan has performed, you just, just take a look over on the other side with, with the Dominican, Venezuela, and, and to a certain extent, I think Puerto Rico as well. Um, these, these places are unbelievable at producing baseball players. So, you know, we have these great relationships and then it moves its way up. We have great Uh, agents, we have great recruiters, and we all as a group have a singular focus in our pursuit. And and again, that's representing baseball players to the highest and best of our ability and servicing their particular needs. So we've developed a comprehensive and team-oriented approach um, to providing that. And and it allows our recruiters who are on the ground day to day um, to really do a great job. Uh, But again, just circling all the way back, Unless I got down there, unless I understood the culture, um, unless I really, I guess, got it, uh, I wouldn't be able to continue to support them who then support our, our clients.
1: How much of recruiting in the Dominican and Venezuela is people there coming to you and saying, I've got an outstanding baseball player could be a client of yours versus you, like you said, going there having those relationships with the academies and saying, we've noticed this player is
2: outstanding. Like we're interested in signing this player. Yeah, I, th- I think it starts with the trust of the recruiters who work for us. Um, and I, I say recruiters, but they are agents. So all of our people in, in both uh, Venezuela and the Dominican who are recruiting on our behalf are certified by the MLBPA. Um, it's It's one, trusting their advice, trusting their eye, um, trusting the experience that they have in these spaces. They're all baseball guys. You know, whether they grew up and actually had a, a chance at playing at a big league or at a minor league level, um, whether they've worked with academies, whether they come from um, the team side. I just hired an individual previously was with the, the Blue Jays scouting uh, down in Latin America. Mm. I have to trust that they're seeing things that I would never be able to comprehend at an early age in these players' careers. So, it, it definitely starts there. Um, in terms of referrals, uh, this isn't necessarily a referral business uh, in terms of like the the discrepancy between the sources. Like you have to go up get the business. Um, you know you can certainly bounce things off of relationships that you have with um, the international directors, the scouts, coaches, people who really know the players. And certainly we've done a good job of of doing our due due diligence, excuse me, on the players that we represent. But, you know, for anyone that's interested in getting into this line of business, uh, first and foremost, you have to be willing to put yourself out there on a daily basis and and go hunting. Um, This is not a business that comes to you. You have to go and get the business.
0: You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this.
1: 5G is here. Is your stadium ready? From an immersive fan experience to efficient game day operations, 5G is transforming sports and entertainment. If you're ready to jumpstart your 5G transformation, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is one of the largest operators of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They provide stadiums and arenas with state of the art 5G networks and support teams across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and NCAA. I'm constantly interacting with sports executives, and the reason they love working with Boingo is because Boingo manages 5G and Wi-Fi networks end-to-end, offloading very stretched IT teams. Whether your stadium is looking to support mobile ticketing, cashless payment, or connected operations, Boingo has you covered. But don't just take it from me. Their customers include world-class venues like Soldier Field, State Farm Arena, Petco Park, and University of Louisville. Boingo in 5G. Now that's what I call a win win. For a limited time, Boingo has a special offer for sports business radio listeners. They're offering a free 5G assessment for your stadium or arena. To get started, simply email sbradio at boingo.com and mention this podcast. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio.
0: Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger.
1: All right, let's talk about that record-setting contract with Rafael Devers. The numbers I have, and correct me if I'm wrong, 11 years, $331 million. Is that right? Correct. So, I got to tell you, my first reaction when I saw the contract first is I was like, the Red Sox are not handing out contracts lightly these days. I mean, they've lost Mookie Betts and and others. So when I saw this commitment, I was like, wow, that's really remarkable um, that, you know, Raphael was able to get this contract. And then the other thing, which I'll talk to you about in a minute, is 11 years. That's a long time. Um, Great stability for the player, but the market's going to change a lot over the next 11 years. So Let's start with, how did this all come together? How did you get the Red Sox to make this kind of a commitment to a player when the last couple of years, that
2: hasn't really been their, their MO? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it starts on our side with um, uh, the concept that I laid out earlier, which is this team. Um, a lot of the discussions were uh, led by Raf's lead agent, Nelson Montez de Oga, as I uh, as I expressed we take a very team-oriented approach to all of our negotiations. So our analytics people get involved. Um, I'm heavily involved in the discussions. Uh, one of our lead agents, Peter Greenberg, who's been doing this for a very long time. Um, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't emphasize Barry. I think he'd, he'd be upset with me. <laughs> um, but no, we, we take a, a very team-oriented approach to our, our negotiations. And, and what we try to do early on in the player's career really educate them on what is coming next um what does the market look like today what do we anticipate that it could potentially look like tomorrow based on factors such as a new cba negotiation uh similarly situated players who'd be coming up for contract prior to their free agency to our uh, clients free agency years you know how the arbitration process is shifting etc etc so education first and foremost, is an absolute cornerstone of the process. And that allows the client to feel at ease with the progression of his play and how that transfers to the business side um, of baseball, and, and that's where we come into play. In regards to the actual negotiation with Boston, I think there is one probably overarching theme that was um, was the most important theme in the whole discussion, which is, Boston wanted Raf to remain in a Red Sox uniform for his entire career and Raf, uh, felt the same way. And, and for us as agents, I think, I think one of the common misconceptions is our job is to just maximize at all times. And the only thing that we're doing is we have to go out there and get the biggest contract, make the biggest splash. And that's the only thing that's important. Uh, that's just simply not the case. Yeah. Our job is to optimize the financial opportunity in a manner that is consistent with the needs and the priorities of each individual player. And each individual player, those those needs, that that list that they have, that, that is very different. Um, so uh, a, a deal early on in one player's career might make sense for him um, at a specific juncture. It might not make sense for the guy sitting next to him in the locker room to Rash, the priority again was, can I can I get what I deserve? Can I optimize my earnings at this juncture while doing it in, in a way that I'm going to remain um, in a Red Sox uniform the rest of my career? That was our mandate. So going into the discussion, we knew that, Boston knew that, and that created more of a collaborative environment, I, I believe, to actually get a deal done that was not easy to get done. Um, you know, Boston, as you said, their mandate recently has not been to sign their their big guys, their homegrown talent. But you know, credit to them, I think they identified early on in in the new regime, which is led by Hein Bloom, that RAF was their guide. Um, you know he was going to be the face of that franchise for an extended period. They needed to prioritize uh, their capital, their dollars into who they believed uh, was the best fit for them long term. And it, again, it created a, a, an appropriate environment for us to collaborate and, and get to a point where I, I believe the final figure was the largest deal in Red Sox history by about 117 million dollars. Uh, they just don't do this, and I think Raff feels very fortunate that they've kind of selected him to be to be that that one. Um, and we s- certainly feel very fortunate that um, you know we've put Raph in a position where. He's created generational wealth. He's maximized the opportunity of his value as a baseball player. And certainly, you know, years from now, he could be looking up at Fenway Park with his his jersey and the Raptors. And for some guys, that that's a priority. Um, so it's been pretty cool. I appreciate you walking me through that. Congratulations on that record-setting contract.
1: I am going to debate with you for a minute. Sure. So my listeners on this show know my stance on this. And my stance is I don't believe in anything over a five-year contract. I don't care if you're MLS signing a deal with Apple. I don't care if you're Raphael Devers, Aaron Judge, uh, whoever it may be. The reason is the market changes a lot, right? If you look at the market in year one versus year 11, sports usually you know, it gets more expensive as you go along, whether it's rights fees for TV and media or just player salaries. I understand the uh, guarantee of 11 years and $331 million. I mean, look, if someone offered me that deal, I'm signing it tomorrow. But the elite athletes, you know, I look at what LeBron James has done, for example, with short contracts to always be able to change with the market and the times. Um, explain to me, I this was like the number one thing I wanted to ask you when I knew I was having you on, the value of the long-term contract versus short term and being able to change with this times. I saw Corbin Carroll decide an eight-year deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And, you know, I know him a little bit, and I was like, congratulations to him. But again, I'm not signing anything over five years because I want to be able to go back to the table and renegotiate based on current market value.
2: So so let me let me just help help you understand. Are you saying that you don't believe in it from a player's perspective, a team perspective, or just overall? I think from a player perspective. Um, from a team
1: perspective, I think it's a great deal. You're locking in a player at today's value. I think the value, the economics of the game, the media deals, everything is going to go up between year one and year 11. That's been proven historically. So when I see 11 years, I'm like, the Red Sox got a a great deal, even though they're paying 331. That's a great deal for them at today's value. Same thing with the Diamondbacks. I think Corbin Carroll is going to be an all-star. And if you can lock him in today and look, you know, he's had some injury uh, concerns. So you know, he's probably like, hey, this is great. I'm getting the guaranteed money. I'm going to take it while I have this value. So I see what the downside is. But I think from the player perspective, the market can change so much between year one and year 11. You're taking a risk.
2: Sure. Yeah. I, th- I think I'll start with um, what I said previous, which is these deals are not a one size fits all. And that is, that's really important to touch upon is although we might advise against a certain deal at a specific time, the client at the end of the day needs to make a decision that he feels in his heart is best for him. Um, I think it would be very presumptuous of us to understand what it's like to walk in their shoes. Right. Um, You know, one, one player might be a pitcher that grew up in, in a poor town of the Dominican Republic who has had one season of success, who is you know kind of a sporadic pitcher that, that may be dealing with confidence issues. And really the, the idea of getting that security for he and his family and being able to build a home for mom and dad is what he needs to be able to get on the pump every single day and be his best. So I think we start there. It's just a fundamental understanding of our job and what we're supposed to be doing. That's advise and guide and educate. And put the player in a position to succeed. But at the end of the day, they need to make the decision that's right for them. And oftentimes we we can't again get in get in their shoes and, and really understand the thinking at that type of level. And that's perfectly okay. Now with Raf, Raf's not that guy. Raf took this almost all the way to the end at, at free agency um, where we could optimize it. But when when we had our conversations with Raf, I think one of the keys was taking a look at spending coming out of a CBA and spending going into a CBA and how much that fluctuates and how the market might shift um, moving forward as opposed to where the market is for him right now and how to assess those risks. So when you take a look at next year's crop, it was a possibility that Machado was coming out. I think we certainly helped him make a decision um, on what he was going to do. Uh, I'm sure when he saw that deal or his agent saw that deal, that really helps us and as a yeah. result he's done quite well but but next year you've got shohei and i i don't think shohei moves raf's market whatsoever he is such a unicorn he's so different you know that that's not exactly an indicator of a market mover for us so if we were able to get the best result this year taking a full year of risk off off the table putting Ralph into a position, again, where he could endear himself further to the Red Sox based on his priorities. That was the mandate, and that's what we were able to achieve. Now, I guess um, as, as a as a philosophical standpoint, I can understand what you're saying. Uh, for some players, I, I, I think the Carroll deal is probably a good one to kind of pick apart. Um, you know, why would a player who's, what is he, 21, 22? You know, why would he agree this early on when everything indicates that spending is going to increase as we progress. There's going to be a new CBA prior to him hitting the free agent market. There will be new TV deals, um, especially considering the fragmentation of the regional networks that will prop up and elevate the amount of money that's being pushed in the baseball. Gambling will probably continue to, to improve the financials of the team. So all these factors come in when you're talking to your client and, and how, to make a decision that's best for him but you know i don't i don't know corbin carroll and in, in eight years at a hundred million dollars for a 21 year old that's some. Sound, that sounds pretty darn good um so i i don't i don't know if i'm gonna like directly disagree with you uh, but what i will say is like thinking that just creating a, a flat five-year deadline for every single leagues I just think it's a little overly simplistic and we have to understand that a deal for one guy might be great and it might not be best for, for the other one, uh, depending on a, a myriad of factors, one of which is, frankly, age. Um, you know, Raf, Raf at the age of 26, and this is just the way baseball thinks, is far more valuable than Raf at the age of 31. So if we did a five year deal for Raf and he came out as a free agent at 31, that, you know, we're, we're, we're banking on performance, we're banking on health, we're banking on the market shifting, but what we also have to balance that against is, is a, a stark reality, which is players later on in, in their careers are just worth less. Um, so taking that, that finite understanding of what's right in front of us, which is just that reality, and balancing it out against the what-ifs, which could be positive, um, I, I think Raph made the right call. I do too. And then the best point I think you
1: make is it's not one size fits all. You have to look at each player's situation, whether it's, you know, hey, this is a lot of money for me. I want to set up my family for the rest of our lives or, uh, you know, injury history. Like there's always factors that go into it. Age, like you said, you brought this up. So I'm going to ask you about this. I know you're not his agent, but Otani is a unicorn. Like he's a great pitcher. He's a great hitter. He has global appeal. He helps baseball, you know, reach Asia. And that's a market they really want to be in. How do you price this guy? Like, it really is. We've never seen anything like this. I mean, we, Babe Ruth wasn't going through stuff like this. Um, so yeah. h- how do you, if you were his agent, how
2: do you go to the table and say, this is the worth of this guy? You yeah. know. But I think it, it's the market will always tell you what you're worth, right? And and he is going to have an opportunity to be really so unique in so many ways. One of which is who else are you going to bid on next offseason if you're the Dodgers, the Mets, the Padres, the Cubs, um, you know, some of these big the Yankees, some of these larger market, big spending teams. To understand the value of this not just being a baseball decision but it being a business decision Mm -hmm. because he is going to put buds in the seats he's going to attract viewership both domestically and internationally he's going to sell jerseys he is for all intents and purposes the biggest star in baseball and i don't even think we've we've scratched the surface in terms of what his marketability could be when partnered with the right team so uh, you know if, if i'm one of these teams, there's a premium to be paid um, on top of whatever the analytics will tell you, and and in terms of the analytics, my guess is it's probably some combination of of war um, of him as a pitcher and and him as a hitter, and how how does that trail off later on in his career? Where you know the the, the pitching probably takes a bit of a dive comparatively. Frankly, I don't know, um, but what I can say is. If, if I'm one of the teams evaluating what I want to pay for him, and there's there's going to be a market, there certainly is, I'm um, probably going to be comfortable paying a 10, 20, 30% premium because I understand the business implications of bringing a player of that stature into my organization in such a large market. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be
1: right back after this. Talent, hard work, focus, and determination got you here. Now take the right steps to prepare for your future and ensure that you stay at the top of your game, your business, your craft. Morgan Stanley Sports and Entertainment is a division of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management dedicated to serving the unique and sophisticated needs of elite and professional athletes, entertainers, executives, creators, and other top talent and professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. They deliver the education, strategies, and expertise you need to help advance your financial game plan at every stage of your career journey. They speak the language. They know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash GSE. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with
0: Brian Berger.
1: There's just some players in sports, whether it's uh, LeBron James, Patrick Mahomes, or they're corporations in and of themselves. It's like a merger. When they move, they're merging their brand and their corporation with the team that they're going to. And I think you're exactly right. Otani, wherever he goes, this is beyond the field of play. This is a business decision. And like you said, the uh, you know TV viewership, the butts in the seats, the jersey sales, and frankly, and I'll say this, I think the angels have done a really poor job of, of maximizing what they have with him. And I agree that if he's on another team that really makes him the face of the franchise and they work with major league baseball to make him the face of major league baseball, um, gosh, you could be talking about one of the biggest, uh,
2: athletes in the world. Yeah. You know, I think in regards to the, um, it's interesting because I, I mean, I, I, I've, I've lived in Orange County essentially since I have moved down to California. I'm a Newport Beach resident, proud Newport Beach resident. I, I love it down here. I mean, it, it is it's remarkably beautiful all year round. Uh, there's endless amounts of opportunity to to do and see things. You know, we're, we're raising our our 18 month old son here for a reason. Um, it's a great place to be, but I do think when it comes to sports, there's just a certain level of apathy. Um, that creates a ceiling of fan engagement in this market where a player like, like a Shohei could, could probably, or probably does, I should say, outgrow the, the possibility of what, what could be achieved down here from our, from a marketability perspective. And that's you know, not to, not to say anything bad about the fans of, of the angels. Um, there's some, a, a lot of passionate angels fans. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a reality of the market, um, one hour north and, and you know, you slap the blue on him and now he's, he's in the Dodgers market. There's just more you can do with that. Um, frankly, the fans are a little more engaged, uh, even though there's a lot to do at LA. Um, there's a lot more history there, a lot more passion. Um, you know, the, the market is substantially larger in size and scope. So, yeah, you know, I, it's, it's an unfortunate thing because I want to see as someone who lives down the street uh, the angels do well, you know, I, I want to see the fan engagement. Um, I want to see the ability to take call it what it is baseball's two best players. Um, I don't think there's really much argument to be made otherwise, um, and create a level of engagement and excitement. That's good for the entire game of baseball, not just angels baseball. Uh, I, I think that's an uphill challenge.
1: By the way, uh, I'm familiar with Southern California. I went to Loyola Marymount University, so I'm
2: very oh, okay. familiar with the Southern California market. That that's where I studied the uh, for the bar exam. I used I used your campus. Sweet, Just, <laughs> nice, and yeah. it worked out well. It worked out. It did. Baseball, I think,
1: again, um, doesn't do the best job when it comes to promoting and marketing its players. You know, I look at the NBA which is where I come from. I used to work for the Portland Trailblazers. Um, you know the 10th guy on the bench. He's active on social media. You know you know what he's got going on. I don't feel like I really know that much about Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, um, and some of the best players in baseball. What can Major League Baseball, what can agents like yourself do to humanize the players so that we as fans know
2: them personally a little bit better than we do. Well, it's an interesting question in in terms of the timing of the question because we're we're right in the middle of the World Baseball Classic. Right. Uh, it's that is a very different brand of baseball that embraces the passion, uh, embraces the individual. Albeit you 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 are fighting for your flag, so to speak, but there there is more wiggle room culturally to express um, express yourself in so many different ways. I mean, you you, you've seen it uh, over the past couple of days with some of the pitchers. You know, there was a a pitcher on on Venezuela that you know his, his jersey was half undone and he was smacking his chest. Um, and you, you don't really get to to see that much in baseball. So I, in, in major League baseball. So I think culturally, I think we need to embrace a bit of a shift. And I do, I do think with that said baseball has done a pretty good job of taking some positive steps in, in that regard. But I think there's more to learn from the WBC as we watch it. Um, first off reality check is the passion and excitement you see in some of these games the ability to transfer that over a 162 game season. Very, very tough. Um, yeah, and near impossible, I would say, but I think that the idea, um, should always be for, for any, uh, any sport, um, specifically right now major league baseball. It's, it's not how do we create viewership? It's how do we convert viewers into loyal fans? Um, and that, I think that's the key, uh, as, as, I like to think about it from a business perspective, um, You know, the Angels aren't necessarily competing with the dogs. They aren't necessarily competing with the New York Yankees. They're competing with every other form of discretionary spending and entertainment. And as other leagues have improved the quality of their product, as they've innovated, as other forms of discretionary entertainment have entered into the marketplace, specifically for the younger generation, the margin for error thins out and the need to innovate dramatically increases. And I think baseball has generally lagged behind, um, but I think they've made some positive steps. So again, kind of circling back to the WBC, I think more meaningful baseball on a more consistent basis throughout the year is an an absolute necessity. Um, The way that I would think about it is if you're watching, again, this is no offense to the Oakland A's, but if you're watching an A's game in August, and you're new to baseball, you're a casual viewer, you're thinking about it, specifically as, as, a, as a young boy or girl, the odds of you getting converted into a loyal fan are, are pretty thin. Um, and that's simply because you know they're not playing meaningful baseball and they're not doing it with a lot of stars on the field. And that's a shame. So I think from a CBA perspective, we do need to create an atmosphere where there is more parity in the game. Uh, very, very important. We also need to focus on getting the stars in the game. Um, and I say that because we still have a, a, a system that allows for some service time manipulation. The best players should be paying playing, excuse me, period, no matter how early they are, they are in their career. Um, I, I think those are the two things that certainly stand out to me most. And then from an actual player promotion perspective, um, we're at an interesting time with what's happened with the regional sports networks. This this to me, if I'm if I'm Manfred, um, and I'm, I'm sure he's thinking this way, is this could be really a legacy-setting moment for him and how he treats this? Uh, the idea of the centralization of the distribution of these games, I think, is really interesting for baseball long term. Uh, I, I don't think because baseball's been such a regional game, we've had a product that really calls for much innovation. I, I don't I don't necessarily think that regional sports networks. Any of us would believe we're going to be on the forefront of those those innovative pieces of of game distribution, right. but now we have a chance to do that. And, and you know, with the fragmentation of media rights, with streaming services such as Apple sticking their their hat in the ring, we do have an opportunity to promote players in different ways, simply by distributing the product in in new and exciting ways uh, and opportunities. So, if I'm if I'm a baseball fan, but I'm I'm really a fan of Shohei Otani. And now I can get push notifications, for example, that he's up to bat, and I get to consume the product in a way that is consistent with my passion for that player. I'm not saying that that's going to be done, or or maybe Apple is that's what they're thinking, but that that could be really amazing for me as a fan, and it could build more loyalty, more viewership, more chatter outside the lines that then drives further viewership, and it's just a cycle. And and I I think. If I'm baseball, I'm probably thinking that way. And and a really, this, this regional network shakeup um, could have a lasting effect in the game in an extremely positive way for a long time, specifically when it comes to the player interaction and, and content distribution.
1: There's so much to respond to and what you just said, so much <laughs> to unpack. You're, I mean, it's such good information, especially from someone who sits in your seat. The first thing I'll say is, you know, the the point you bring up about the WBC and the, the passion and the personalities that we're seeing coming out. Like, I'm a big story guy. Like, I love stories of athletes. And, you know, I can't remember who the player is, but when I hear there's a player on, you know, Panama, Venezuela, whatever the team was, and he's like an electrician by day, but he just struck out Mike Trout. Like, I'm like, I want to know more about this guy. And he's celebrating on the mound. And like, he he kind of becomes the everyman. Like, this dude is an electrician during the day, and he just struck out one of the best players in baseball in the WBC. Like, tell me more about this guy's story. So I think bringing out stories, whether it's in the WBC or whether it's in Major League Baseball, is really important. I love your idea about consuming uh, the game's for Major League Baseball, you know, in, in microbytes, I would call it. I think if you factor in sports betting, this is the way of the future. You want to see Otani coming up to bat because he's your favorite player, but you also want to bet on what he's going to do in that at bat. And there's real time betting. And, you know, I think a lot of the media is stuck in the 1970s as far as how they broadcast games still, not just in baseball, but every sport. And, you know, what they don't realize is because betting is what it's becoming and legalized everywhere. And then also, um, you know, I have a teen and teens consume things very differently than we do. And teens consume things, you know, they have ADHD, like they don't want to sit and watch a three or four hour game. They want to see the at-bat of their favorite player. They want to see the highlights on TikTok or, youtube or instagram or whatever they're looking at it very differently than we look at it so how do you reach the younger demo because that's the future of all of these sports not just baseball if you're not catering to the next generation when this generation dies out you're like okay what do we do now because we didn't do anything to grow our sport with that younger generation
2: yeah we are certainly at an inflection point in, in the way sports um, will be consumed, and I I mentioned the microbytes for baseball simply because of the way the league is constructed across 162 games. Right, it it allows for that type of viewership to make just a little bit more sense, frankly. And you know, we 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 as a sport and sports in general have to adapt with times. Um, you know, I personally don't know what it's like to consume content on TikTok. Um, But I can tell you that every single teenager probably does. And that's what Major League Baseball is competing with. So, you know, rather than fight against the grain, I think we use this inflection point to allow technology to lead the way. And let's lean into those who have a vested interest now in the sport that have been able to advance a lot of these um, components of, of, of entertainment, specifically with Apple. Uh, you know, Apple having an interest and in taking an interest in, in the rights game, I think is fantastic for all sports, particularly baseball, because competition breeds innovation. And, you know, there's just a perfect storm of the opportunity with baseball now because of the falling out with these regional networks and the interest and appetite of these groups who have that technological capability. To just take a, take a look at how the game is being distributed and consumed, make the appropriate alterations, iterate, 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 iterate and get better as a result. Yeah, I mean, I look at what Apple's done with MLS and, you know, now
1: fans around the world can consume Major League Soccer, right? You could be yep. anywhere in the world, you subscribe to the games on Apple. It's much like, you know, I used to be on radio and you had to be tuning into that radio station or network at a certain time to be able to hear a, a conversation like this one. Well, now as a podcast, anyone in the world can listen to this. And I hear from people all over the world and they can listen on whatever, you know, time frame they want to listen. So it opens up the, the boundaries of, you know, where people can consume the content. And I, I really think we're moving in that direction with, you want people to be able to consume your content on demand anywhere in the world. And you don't want it to just be, you know, someone who lives in Orange County or someone who lives in New York or someone who lives in Chicago. You want it to be anywhere in the world. That's yeah. how you grow your your game globally too.
2: Yeah. And again, I think, I think the key is how do you convert viewership into loyalty? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you create fans of the game? not just viewers of it. And, and those, those, the answer to that is very different across generations. And I certainly don't have the key to unlock the box of, of that next generation of, of viewership. But what I do know is we have to be aligned with the way that they enjoy consuming the product. We have to be aligned with technology. And you're absolutely right. What, what Major League Baseball should want more than anything is a fan in Nicaragua, a fan in Greece, a fan in simply just Milwaukee, being able to get push notifications on their phone that Shohei Otani is off the bat, and I get to develop further loyalty to the game as a consumer of that specific part of baseball. Yeah. It's great.
1: All right. I could talk to you for hours, but I I know you have other things to do. My last question for you do you still have your dog Harrison Ford? I do.
2: This is the second time it's come up today. <laughs> he's uh, he's he's the best. He's a hundred and thirty pound Rottweiler, and as you can imagine, that stature intimidates a lot of people. Um, but he is as needy and soft uh, a dog as you could ever imagine. And he and my my eighteen uh, month old son watching them run around together throughout the house, and my son laughing hysterically because we call him Harry for short, is looking at his face and just seeing that it's pretty special. Um, You know, my my wife and I absolutely love it. He's become such a big part of our family. We we love the bits. So you must be
1: watching Shrinking on Apple TV. Please tell me you are. It's such a good show.
2: And Harrison Ford, who doesn't do TV, is brilliant in the show. Okay. I'm going to have to take your word for it and tune in. I have not been watching it um, you know, there's only, only so much time in the day. Yeah. I can tell you like that, like, you, you know, as a parent, um, raising a little one and balancing and balancing that out with the rest of life is remarkably challenging. So our, our, TV time right now is about this. I'd like to make it this. And maybe when we expand that, I'll, I'll want shrinking, but it's very minimal right now, especially with baseball um starting to make its way. I've got to allocate my time there. Yeah. Well, and then Harrison Ford is in Indiana Jones this summer too. So like this is a big year for Harrison Ford. So your it's dog not. is aptly named. Yeah, it's a it's a different kind of it's a, it's a it's a CGI version of him, is it not? Uh yeah. I mean
1: I think there's current day Harrison in part of it, but yeah, it's mostly yep. CGI. It's amazing what they can do. I mean, we've talked about technology in this conversation today. It's amazing what they yeah. can do and, and Movies, I wish someone could CGI me with a little more hair and, and younger Brian Berger. That would be nice.
2: Yeah, it'd be nice to get rid of these uh, bags under my eyes and CGI as well. That, that'd be very helpful. But if you have any opportunity uh, to create the introduction between the two Harrisons at any point, trust me, I will be a welcome taker.
1: Okay. Yeah, I wish I knew the real Harrison Ford. But if, if there is the opportunity, I will let him know that
2: there's a, a very famous dog named after him. I, I, uh, I love that he's come up multiple times today and he, he's just completely clueless to that. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we love the guy. I love the name. I think it's hilarious. Uh, we have another dog that was in Toronto. He's recently moved down named Chewbacca. Um, so as you can tell, (laughs) Chewbacca and Harrison Ford, um, were, were movie buffs. Uh, I, I grew up loving star Wars, so kind of a geek and, and, and a bit of a nerdy thing that we've done, but I, I think it's great.
1: Chris Corris, the CEO of Rap one Baseball. Thank you so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. This was just a fantastic, insightful conversation. I appreciate it. Absolutely,
2: Brian. Anytime. Thanks so much.
1: When it comes to your health and longevity, you hold nothing back. You understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build strength, speed recovery, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get twenty percent off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com/sbr. That's insidetracker.com/sbr. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our team at Sports Business Radio, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and our friends at CG Sports who power Sports Business Radio, CG Young, Matt Amerlin, Nicole Wardle, and Calvin Wirtz. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.